Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Doug Noll again, listening with leaders. My guest today is really unique. Her name is Cassandra Welchlin, and she's an award-winning and globally experienced executive director of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. The mission of that organization is to shift power at the voting booth and at the policy table for Black women and girls. And as an experienced policy advocate, organizer, and coalition builder, she has led and been a partner on a number of local, state, and national initiatives to advance racially gender equitable policies for low-income women, their families, and communities of color for over 20 years. This is a woman who's doing amazing work in an area that, in this politically polarized time, is more necessary than ever. So, Cassandra, welcome welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for inviting me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Let, let's just start off with some basic background. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, and, and then we'll get into how you got into the, the work that you're doing today. So, I am a daughter of the South. I was born and raised right here in Jackson, Mississippi. I... Um, went to um, the Jackson State University and majored in social work. And I am, um, and went on to go to grad school at Brandeis University um, at the Heller School for Social Policy and Management and majored in sustainable international development. And uh, I was raised by a single mom and all of my aunties and with my grandma. So they raised me. I have three sisters, um, two sisters, and um, I'm married to a Minnesota man. (laughs) 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 And he came down south um, over 20 something years ago and never came back. Whenever went back, he met me. And so we have three um, beautiful and amazing kids, um, two girls and a little boy. Well, he's really... not so little anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you you light up when you talk about your family and your husband and your kids. Yeah, I call him my north wind and he calls me his south wind. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how did you get in? You've been doing policy advocating advocacy work, especially for people of color, especially women of color for your whole career. How did you get into that work after after you graduated in Brandeis? So let me just share just a little bit. Um, I like to just put this caveat in, um, letting people know a little bit more about me. So my mother, I love to say my mother's life taught me what justice was. And my grandmother's life taught me what service was. My mother was a low-wage worker making about $2.13. And she used to take me to work with her and um, hide me in the utility closet with her colleague. 
And she would leave me in there with her colleague while she goes out and do her job, which was she was a maid. And so she would change the tissue, clean the toilets, mop the floors, all those things. And, um, and when she got done, she would relieve her colleague and go in that so that her colleague can go to work with, can go to work and do her job or perform her job. But what I came to realize was that that was my childcare story. My mom didn't make enough money to take me to childcare. But I learned a lot from my mother because in the soul and the depths of who she is, she's a teacher. So I learned Patty Kate, I learned my ABCs, I learned my one, two, threes and that utility closet. What's interesting about this story is that my mother worked across the street um, from the seat of power, from the state legislature that was led and still led by majority white men. And they had the power to um, sign a bill into law that would increase her wages. And we're still fighting that fight now. So I now have the unique opportunity to do the advocacy work to um, make sure that no, no woman has to choose between her job and her child. And so I do that advocacy work. Um, and my grandmother um, taught me what service was. And it was, she was the caretaker of the community. And she was also the foster care um, mother to my mom and her siblings. Uh, it's a very unique story. And maybe I have to come back to tell you a little bit more about that story <laughs> okay. and how my mom got into foster care, but I'm the eldest grandkid and it was my job to take you know, the food to the elders in the community um, because those elders didn't have family. And where most kids learn how to, girls learn how to braid hair on a Barbie doll, I learned how to braid hair on Miss Taylor, um, who was Native American and African American, had this beautiful long hair. And my grandmother would give me specific instructions. Don't just take the food over there and leave. I want you to sit with Miss Taylor and have a conversation with her, make her feel loved. So I learned what service was from there. Both of those things have propelled me to do what I do now. And um, my background, as I said, I'm a social worker and I practice social work um, in the traditional way, which is direct service work. I practice um, for one year and that one year changed how I would forever do my work. Um, I was working with children who had serious emotional disorders and um, I had this kid who had oppositional defiance disorder, bipolar disorder, and my job was to keep her in school. But there were so many barriers to make it, to keeping her successful. And they were really pushing her from the schoolhouse to the jailhouse, from the school to prison pipeline. And I didn't have much understanding around that or around zero tolerance policies. Um, and it was right after um, Columbine and Pearl High School in Mississippi, where these mass shootings began to occur. And from there, I began to understand zero tolerance policies 
were, it didn't matter what my kid had as far as a disorder, they weren't tolerating anything. And so they were trying to kick her out of school. And so my job was to stabilize her, but I couldn't because all of these systems were at play. And that's where I began to say, I'm not being the best social worker to my family, to my kid. So I actually left, went to Brandeis, and it was there that I began to understand how policies impact people's kitchen tables. And that opened my eyes to a lot, not just to the United States, but how global policies were intertwined and then how race and um, sexism and you know um, capitalism and globalization, how all those things really webbed together that created these inequitable structures, right? And so, yeah, so that changed my trajectory. And I began to, to say, I want to not just, you know, do direct service. I can't just do that because that's a Band-Aid. I want to be able to change systems. And I want to bridge that gap um, with community organizing because people can self-determine and they know their own solutions and they are the experts. And so give them the opportunity, the training, the tools they need to influence and be a part of the policymaking um, table. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Oh, God. I know it's a long explanation. <laughs> no, no, really powerful. The, um, and what I really love is that you were grounded in, by your mother in learning and your grandmother in service. Correct. I mean, really a powerful story. You know, I, I can't help but reflect. I sit here in California and live a, a, a pretty blessed, privileged life. And I think about women like you living in the South, and I look at the political situations going on in the red states, which I don't want to go deep into this, but it, it's I find it very upsetting. As a lawyer and as a peacemaker, um, when I see the kinds of things that are happening in the name of politics, it really, I'm pretty disgusted by it all. I'm just wondering how you manage to do your work in a place as racist and segregated as Mississippi still is, with the seat of power still being held by old white men who are a minority in the state. And they absolutely refuse to give up any power position and privilege to, 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 to other people in the state. How... How do we manage that? Yeah, so for us, um, you know, the South, as you said, is definitely, um, you know, segregated um, still in so many ways. Yes. Um, and also it, it, it holds both truths. It's the segregation that still exists, racism, sexism, all those things still exist, but yet it's also a friendly place to be. Right, it's called the you know the hospitality state, and it has this, um, and we're the you know the uh, the soul of music and the blues, and um, also religion is in there too, where religion is supposed to set you free, but yet it also bounds you, you know, as well, and so it holds um, has great food. Right, it holds all of these things um, at the same time. Many paradoxes. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly, it does. And so, being you know um, a daughter of the South, 
you know, it's interesting in 2016, when it's two things come to my mind, one William Faulkner said to under, to understand the world, you got to understand a place like Mississippi. And this other thing that comes to my mind is, you know, around, you know, Mississippi, as you said, have been at the bottom of so many, you know, so many things. And we are in a state where majority, where there's a majority Republican conservative, you know, leadership here. And those policies get passed that don't particularly benefit my families or people who look like me. But yet um, in 2016, when, you know, our organization have to say this, we are a 501c3, we don't support a candidate or endorse anyone. But, um, but when Trump won in 2016, we had people calling us and was just like, oh my God, this is horrible. How do you feel? And we said, welcome to the South. This wasn't anything new for us because mm -hmm. we have been dealing with it for a very long time. We are in the belly of the beast when it comes to the economic injustices that exist around you know, social, political, economic power. But yet also women and black women have always been at the forefront of every political, social, economic, you know, movement in this country. Let's just be clear about that. Right. And in the South, and when you talk about the Voting Rights Act, right, it was the galvanization of, you know, families and people and black people in the South and black women, you know, organizing so much of that. And so it's in our DNA to... Um, that we have also built this incredible, I would say, muscle around the tough parts of this, of, of the ugliness of our country. Uh, we built a muscle, we built unique strategies to, to handle these kinds of things um, that exist here. And it also, where it may be tiring, and yes, it gets tiring, but we also are very aware that freedom just ain't free. Like you gotta con constantly um, work and be alert at all times to make sure that freedom, that you put a demand on them because power just don't give up like Frederick Douglass says, like you gotta put a demand on that power. And so, um, so yes, it's hard, but we also have seen where you know black women in Mississippi and in the South have gotten higher degrees, right? We are working, but yet, um, and and we are entrepreneurs. We are smart, like we, you know, we run communities. Um, when we are leaders in companies and leaders in legislator legislatures, or in our city government, like we legislate very differently and we really get things done that impact not just our community, our families, but our whole community. And so, um, yes, it's difficult, but yet we're able to really move things and, 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 we, and we exist in this place of hope. I mean, it just well, that's, comes- That's what's coming to my, that's what's coming yeah. to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're giving me a lot of hope. I mean, I look at Mississippi from 2000 miles away and I see a place of 
poverty and, and, and darkness and oppression. And you're telling me, no, it's not that way here. Yeah, there are a lot of bad things, but we are we're slowly moving the needle. And black women are slowly gaining power incrementally and getting educated and building businesses and serving in government. And the change is happening. Not Absolutely. as fast, not as fast as anybody wants, but it's still taking place. Absolutely. I think so much about Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, she's such a gosh, an icon. And I listened, I actually listened to her last week, her speech. Um, and I've been just reading some of her quotes and she's so inspiring how she was, um, she did, she just had a heart of wanting to, to be free and wanting her community and her people to be free. And so she stuck it out and she also groomed the next generation of leaders which is what I'm committed to, you know, as well. My children, they go with me everywhere. They was like, oh my gosh, do we have to go to this one more place? Yep, we do. And my oldest one, oh my gosh, sometimes I have to forget that I'm raising a whole organizer and activist because sometimes she <laughs> checks me. I was like, oh, I am raising you. Um, but we're building this infrastructure, you know, building upon the infrastructure that was left here with so many other organizations in this state and around the, the, the South to you know, build this pipeline of leaders. Um, again, freedom ain't free. You know, it costs something and we have to continue to work at it. And so, yes, it is so difficult and it's so hard. And if you know anybody who got a big old house in Hawaii, they want to give some black women some respite, we would love to take it. <laughs> um, but we, we are committed to the cause and committed to liberation. And it shouldn't be this difficult, um, but we understand that this country wasn't founded on good principles to begin with. And so it just lasted longer here in the South and we're still coming out of it. And let's be clear, we know racism exists all across this country, right? right. Um, but a lot of, um, yeah, so, so that's what I'll say to that. So let's pivot a little bit. Um, this show is called Listening with Leaders, and you are a unique leader. Uh, how important is listening in the work that you do? Oh, listening is really key and important. Um, two things. So we don't do any of our programming, any of our advocacy, organizing work without community. If you, remind, if you remember me telling you when I decided that I wanted to do policy advocacy work with community organizing, it was important that community come along with. I can't be the one or my organization can't be the one that's setting the agenda for community. Community must be a part of the, uh, the programming, the visioning. And so we are deep in community, talking to community about what they need, what they want, what they see, how they wanna be a part. And that's just a value of ours. So we listen deeply. We have community meetings, we have um, town hall meetings, focus groups, and all of that informs our policy work. And it also gives voice to putting a, a real face on the stories, on the data. Um, for us, that's important. So we do narrative change work, right? And we have a project going on right now where we're telling 
the uh, stories of women, black and brown women and their experiences um, with accessing healthcare and what that's like. Because right now the state of Mississippi doesn't want to expand Medicaid and they're struggling with extending postpartum care given Mississippi has the highest maternal mortality rate in the country among black women. And so we're putting a face to that. So that's important to us. The other thing around listening is Mississippi, and you said it, Doug, um, Mississippi doesn't get the investment and the South doesn't get the investment from philanthropic, um, but from philanthropy. And the philanthropic dollars are really low. And it's a shame compared to where dollars go in other places in this country. Yes. The West, the East, the North. Like, uh, if I, and I may be saying this wrong, but this organ, uh, the Ms. Foundation for Women out of New York wrote a report two years ago called Pocket Change. And I just ask anyone to go on and, and, and read it. But it talks about how much investment goes to the South and how much of those investment goes to go to black and brown um, or, or organizations led by black and brown uh, people and women. And it was very uh, stark and it should and philanthropic organizations who are not investing should be ashamed of themselves. This is this is universal. I live in rural California, not elite coastal California, and per capita for every for every dollar, philanthropic dollar that's raised and spent on the coast between LA and San Francisco and San Diego, a penny is raised and spent here in Central California. And of course we're 58% Hispanic here. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. it's a universal problem. Yeah, and I think here, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a dollar and fifty-two cents uh, philanthropic dollars that come to the South. I believe that's right. And so, because of the stereotype that oh, nothing can come from the South, it's a hard place to be, and we want things to happen fast, and we want impact to scale. And that's not how you do work here. There's no way you can do work in Mississippi and in the South without having a racial and a gender lens. Like you just, you just can't because who's impacted by this are black folks, brown folks, and women. And, um, and so what we tell philanthropic um, or philanthropy is that listen to black women, listen to brown women when we tell you this is how it has to get done. So listening is important. We had um, a group of funders here a couple of weeks ago and they couldn't wrap their brain around um, why it was so hard and it was so difficult because they didn't have an analysis of the South. Right. And so we said, and so finally we just stopped and we say, you may not be under, may not be able to understand it. But what we're telling you is listen to us and just trust us. Give us your money and let us do what we need to do. And you cannot, if you want to see change, you have to commit more than three years. You have to do what like a Kellogg Foundation has done and be here for 25 years or more. Wow. So what, what does your day-to-day -day work look like? Well, currently we are in our legislative session. So it is crazy all over the place. Um, 
I have to move between being the executive director who has to handle all the admin work um, and um, doing grant proposals and all of that to and talking with donors to also we got to strategize about this bill that's coming out that is not right. And so we're constantly having calls with our, um, our advocacy team, with our coalition members. So like today, for instance, um, I went to speak to a class, um, a social work class at Jackson State University to tell them what's going on and how you can do social work in a very different way, in the way that I do it. And I left there, came here, came to my office and um, had to get on a call with a funder. And then um, an hour later, we're at the Capitol because there's a public hearing going on because the state um, leadership is trying to take over the city of Jackson, which is a whole nother conversation um, that <laughs> deserves, I think a whole podcast in itself. And so, <laughs> uh, because they're trying to um, take over the city of Jackson, expand um, the Capitol Police presence beyond the, cap the state capital. Um, they're trying to deplete the city of Jackson of public safety funds, and they're trying to dilute um, our voice as a voter and a taxpayer. So they want to appoint um, judges in a place where we already elect judges to now have a seat um, and, and to, to oversee cases. Well, that's our constitution. And so we had a public hearing today. So that's what my day looked like. Wow. Um, and so it's very different. And also while, you know, tomorrow we'll be fighting on the Medicaid extension um, um, uh, bill. And so it's very different. And um, that I could be holding a community meeting with our young people, you know, as well. So day-to-day -day is different. Our work falls into four buckets of work, which is our policy advocacy, which is our Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative, where our, where our, our healthcare work falls, um, our equal pay work um, falls, and equal pay is coming up um, March 15th, 14th. Our transformational leadership, um, civic engagement, and our community outreach. So we are very busy and the day can look very different depending on <laughs> what happens in that day. <laughs> this is this is really this is you got a full plate and you're doing amazing work. I mean Thank the you. idea of the state government wanting to take over a municipality, that's just a pure anti-democratic power grab is what that is. Absolutely it is. And that's we're about to get close to I think a billion dollars um, for our infrastructure um, because of the water situation here in in jackson and so that money is is coming and so they want to control those resources and um it's very racist um and like you said it's a power it's a power grab and we're standing up against it's like no you you can't you can't do that good for you good for you thank you well we're kind of kind of coming to the end of our 30 minutes i always like to ask this question of people it's a little bit personal but i think you'll enjoy it what would be, if you were to reveal one thing about yourself that people wouldn't know unless you revealed it, what would that be? What's the one thing about yourself that people would never guess unless you told them? 
Um, Maybe you have a unique hobby or interest or something something out there that is a little. I unique. know. Okay. I, I know. See, I knew it. I knew okay. you'd have something. So, I love fashion a lot, and I had an opportunity to model for Wilhelmina. Oh. And I didn't quite have a mentor at the time who told me that you could actually do that and still use your platform as advocacy. And I was so committed to the advocacy work that I forewent the tryouts with Wilhelmina. And so I wish I had done that. And I would love to get back and doing some modeling, actually, and still using this this platform. But I used to model, and um, and I had that opportunity That's to a try great out, but I didn't, and I ended up just doing the advocacy work. That's a great story. <laughs> if if people who are watching this want to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do, or maybe even hopefully provide financial support, how would they get in touch with you? Um, they can go on our website, msb as in boy, wr.org, Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. They can Google that and they can see more of our work. They can follow us on social media at MS Black Women's Roundtable. And that's um, on IG, that's on Twitter and um, Facebook as well. Folks can also reach out um, to me directly. My email is cwelchland at msbwr.org. So we'd love to have folks reach out. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time, Cassandra. You are doing amazing work. I feel very blessed to have had you on the show. Thank you for reaching out to me. I'm looking forward to um, hearing what your audience have to say. Okay. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.